Hello, bonjour, and welcome to the Don't Waste Water podcast. I'm your host, Antoine Walter, and in today's episode, I'm thrilled to welcome Ulrike Kelm as my guest. Ulrike is the chair of Women in Water and Sanitation Network, a network acting as an active ambassador for gender equality, connecting and empowering female professionals, expanding women's career opportunities, and increasing their visibility. In this week's episode, we'll start from a simple observation. It's hard to be what you can't see. But throughout the conversation, Ulrike will share with us many levers we can act on collectively in the water sector to overcome the gender challenge. She'll tell us how patterns entrenched in our behaviors shall be broken and how to achieve this. How regulations and labor laws shall enforce a better gender balance for everyone's benefit. She'll share the three pillars of the change we all expect in our industry and how we might be only one generation away from achieving it if we take on the challenge the right way. In our conversation, we also address UN Sustainable Development Goals, the importance of role models, the strength of a network, many inspiring stories, and so much more. We'll take off in a second, but right before, I'll ask you for a powerful hand to help increase collective awareness. Please, if you like this podcast, share this episode with at least two people, And if there's anything you don't like about the show or a topic you'd like us to cover, just drop me a word, ideally on LinkedIn. Do it, share it, I'll meet you on the other side. You're listening to Don't Waste Water, the podcast that helps water professionals to improve their wastewater treatment, optimize their operation costs, and keep up with the latest market trends. This podcast is brought to you by GF Piping Systems. As a leading supplier of piping systems made of plastics and metal, GF Piping Systems is the global expert for the safe and reliable transportation of water, chemicals, and gas. For more information, visit gfps.com. So hi, Ulrike. Welcome to the show. Hello. Thank you very much for having me. Well, I'm very happy to have you. And uh, let's start you know, with our good old traditions. I love to start with a postcard, which is kind of funny when you think of it, because I'm the French guy calling someone which is not French in France, but you are right now in Paris. So can you give me a postcard from Paris? Oh, in this this very moment, it is a gray sky, but actually it's close to April weather this morning. It was sunny and beautiful. Now it's gray. It will rain soon. And I hope that after that, we will have sun again. But well, anyway, this helps not much when you are confined to be inside <laughs> due to the current situation. <laughs> it's somehow even better. You're not tempted to go outside because it's not too sunny or, you know. <laughs> yeah, yeah, that, that was actually the problem during the past weeks that people were really happy about spring weather and gathering outside. And then we could see the bad numbers that were rising and um, giving a very difficult situation to all of us. So we have to be patient sitting inside and hoping that everything will be soon over. So I'd be interested to understand how your path brought you to Paris. And actually you have kind of a twofold path, if I might say so. You are on the same time a professional of the communication world and you are, of course, a professional of the water world. So can you swiftly take us through your your steps mm, i being honest i wouldn't say i'm neither nor <laughs> <laughs> um my idea was when i left school was actually to save the world to make everything a better place this is the very normal wish of someone who has no clear professional idea so i would just thought like i want to do something international I want to travel, I want to meet people from different cultures, and I want to make this world a better place. And so I started with uh, studies uh, on international relations, mm -hmm. and this brought me to economic um, the economic sphere, and I worked on social security, which I thought was absolutely key for societies to propel into a healthy future. And then after a while, a friend told me something about water. And I was like, what? Water? We have water. <laughs> What do you mean? 
And then it turns out that water is everywhere. It's important in any subject you can think of. And so this was really very welcoming for me because I couldn't really make my mind up of working on this sphere, working on that topic, being a specialist on development studies or on economic studies or on gender issues or on whatever. So I found out that water was everywhere. It's a cross-cutting issue. That's the buzzword here. So it's everywhere. You can find it um, in any subject you wish to work on. And then I found out that communications does exactly the same. Without being an expert, you can work on all the different topics. Mm -hmm. Because as soon as you require experts, you have them at your hand, you train them how they can speak in public, or you publish with them a book, a report, you film a documentary movie on specific subjects. And as soon as you require some deeper insights, you always call the real experts who studied the respective subjects. So I think with water and communications, I really cover my broad interest of being everywhere with everything and involved in everything. So this is actually my, my motivation and How I came to Paris, actually, I started off in Latin America working for the German Development Corporation sector, mm -hmm. came back to Europe for an assignment for uh, the GIZ, working for, the international, for an international conference where I got involved in the policy processes. Then I went back to Latin America for another assignment. Then I got another job in the United Nations, working again in shaping policy processes, working for the cause, like advocating for the topic on water and sanitation. This is where we started off the campaign on uh, sustainable development goals, implementing the sustainable development goals. And then I went further on to work for water utilities, also pushing them into the policy processes advocating for the cause of safe water and sanitation management. And after that, I worked for the International Water Association doing exactly the same, but for a different cause, working for individual water professionals, pushing them into the uh, sphere of international relations, international networking, and um, getting the message out. So actually, And this brought me at the end to Paris, let's say like this. I moved around following the jobs. <laughs> Actually, still, I see that as a double competence somehow, you know, having this um, this communication and, and water elements. And actually, what you said at the very beginning, your friends telling you about water and you thinking, we have water. What, what are you talking about? It sounds to me like as an industry, as a, as a sector, the water world still has much communication efforts to do so that the public opinion gets it, that uh, there's the sustainable development goals that, and beyond all of that, there's an industry which is there to, to provide us with, with drinking water and to sort out our wastewater. Is it still an open challenge? Of course, it is a challenge and it always depends on whom to you talk to. So my friend talked to me and I'm from northern Germany where we have excellent water coming out of the tap and the wastewater flushed away into the wastewater system being cleaned up. The rivers are clean now. We can swim in rivers. So for me, water has always been like, yeah, it used to be polluted, but now it's clean. People do it. It's fine. I didn't spend much thought about what is behind all this process of doing so. But I have worked and lived in developing countries where you have water shortage for days, where you don't have uh, running water in your home, where you have to store water and dig basins on the rooftop or in your patio, where you cannot shower, but you just have a little how do you call it, like a little cup which you can water your body and then soap it up and then water again and everything is cold. You never get warm water. So I experienced this, but it's, of course, when you're from a rich country and from a middle-class family, you think like, oh, yeah, that's fun, that's exciting, but you never think about what it is to really live with this every single day of your life without uh, having changes on 
I just found it always very complicated to where to drink water because you couldn't drink the water coming out of a tap in certain countries. Mm -hmm. So all these things, but it's, it's a luxury thought when you think like, oh yeah, I experienced this and I know how it is. No, I don't know. I experienced it. I watched it. I got my awareness got raised on this, but as soon as I got home, I forget because I don't have this feeling. But then I talked to my parents and my parents are actually World War, a second world war refugee children. So they know exactly how it is to carry the water home and to walk without shoes and to carry the water. And when I reported back my experience I made abroad in difficult situations, my parents said, oh, yeah, we know this. And then they started telling their story. And I thought, like, wow, it's just one generation away that I live in pure luxury and, and health and without any problems at all. And they experience the absolute opposite. And so when this friend raised this topic, water is an issue that is discussed worldwide and should be raised more on the international agenda to make it happen on the national and local levels. And you really start thinking like, yeah, how can I contribute to this? What can I do? I'm not an engineer. I don't know how to do with chemical stuff. I can count until 10, but I cannot calculate <laughs> things. So, so this was my situation. And then I found out that, yeah, there's more than just really be working on the ground. You can pave the way to make things happen because it's all different parts of societies within a local area or globally that are involved. It's the users, it's the decision makers, it's the public authorities, it's communities that are involved. It is cultural. So there's so many ways of getting engaged and raising awareness on this topic. And um, usually when you do not have to think about it, it means like everything is fine. But as soon as you have to think about it, you know that things are not doing well. Mm -hmm. I'd like now to take it to your, your role today. You know, you're chairing the, the Women in Water and Sanitation Network. And um, your mission states that you aim your members to become agents of change. So what is the change you're aiming at here? I think it's now besides the topic of water. If I get it right, there's a change to happen inside this industry. And it has something to do with the women in water, right? Yeah, well, when we think about women in water, we can see them, their role twofold. One is they are users, and usually they are the ones who care for the family, for the households, who have the primary burden for looking after the well-being of the family members. But the other one is they also have jobs. They work. They are workforce. So what my network, Women in Water and Sanitation Network, does is We concentrate on the workforce, on the people who studied, who learned a profession and who work in this profession. And we want them to, to be visible. We want them to be an equal um, member of the labor, how you call it, labor society. <laughs> Can we say this? Of, um, of the yeah, labor of the pool. Yeah. Usual, yep. yeah, of the labor pool. Um, we want them to be equal. We want them to be seen. We don't want them to be hidden away. We don't want our women to be shy or to be disencouraged. We want really to encourage them to show ways of um, professional development, how to achieve uh, professional goals, how to find role models, etc. So we do this actually by, first of all, by meeting. So we meet, we network. When you ask our members what they want, they always say networking. They want to meet like-minded people from the same background or from a different background, but working on the same topic on water and sanitation. So this is really the first thing they all want. And what we then do is we engage with them. We train, the, uh, we, we support them in trainings and we support them in learning. How do we do this? We have, uh, for example, a series, well, I think I have to say we are a young network. We've been around for two years. So I cannot really 
talk about a big history. So we have been doing so far a series of um, engaging talks of meet and greets where people can just meet now online due to the pandemic, but it really works well where they meet, where they find uh, themselves together in small meeting rooms and they can exchange on topics they are interested in. This helps them to learn from each other and also to we, this helps all of us to influence the other thing that we do as an as organization is that we partnership and we cooperate with other organizations. So this is why it's important that we are not just a loose group of women meeting sometimes. We are an organization. So this means like we can be addressed by other organizations to cooperate on certain topics. For example, we are working on a report on uh, women in the water sector, uh, professional women in the water sector. So we got approached by another organization, an international organization, to work on this report. And we can forward this call to our very knowledgeable membership. And then we have our expert members contributing to this report. So this helps us to shed light on, on the uh, female workforce in the sector. And this helps us to advocate for the cause, to advocate for female workforce in an unfortunately very male-dominated sector. Actually, to that specific point, you know, when I was preparing for our discussion, I just had a look at some statistics and it turns out that in the water sector, there are less than 17% of women, which places us slightly better than the taxi drivers but um, <laughs> we are lower than the clergy which is crazy when you think that in some religions it's simply forbidden <laughs> to be in the clergy if you're a woman but still there are more women in clergy than in the water sector so is there any kind of explanation to that or would you have a, a feeling about that <laughs> being honest i don't know i think it's a cultural thing it's uh, we grew up on certain patterns that we and separation boys and girls uh, jobs and the future that we have or even the work environment some is easier for women than for men you can experience this all around for example in the police force there's this although we have a lot of women working there, but still they say it's a very male-dominated sector. Or fire brigades, you have the same. It's a very male-dominated sector, although women can do the same job. And in the water sector, it's there are so many different jobs in the water sector coming up nowadays that more and more women get also involved. Because, for example, um, water utilities concentrate more on service. So you have a lot of service jobs like um, client service, answering phones, or um, etc. And this is very female. I once worked in a big national water commission in Mexico, and it was a high building. The headquarters was a really high building, I think 14 floors. My department was the communications department, mainly women. And we were located in the 11th floor. So in the morning, when you get up into the elevator, the elevator was full with men, but they all left on the lower floors in the one, two, three, four, five. And then in the 11th floor, it was just women, women leaving the, the elevator, going into their desks in the communication department. So it seems like that was a very female job. And when you visited some of your colleagues in the other floors where the technical development was or I, whatever is in or the law department or whatever, suddenly you, you could see nearly one or two other women around, mainly secretaries or assistants of some head of departments. And the others, they were all men around. So it was a very strange atmosphere. And then you got up into the communications department, you had a very nice, colorful carpet, beautiful furniture, plants around. And you could see, oh, yeah, it's a female style here. It looked so different. 
And when I have a look at, at experience that I heard from friends out of the sector, or even my own experience when you're in this male environment, it feels sometimes strange and being there because it's either they don't talk much to you or you have very strange jokes that are not really funny for a woman to listen to. For example, a colleague from Senegal, she told me that although she was a superior of her partner when, when she was working in the field, no one talked to her. They all, were always talking to her partner. And she wasn't allowed to drive the car. It was her partner who should do this. And he was a man. And she was his superior. But the society didn't understand this. And another colleague of mine in Spain, she was uh, the first woman in a, it was a public entity of a water department. And she was the first woman there. And she didn't even have a bathroom for herself. And she said she was the first day in this office looking, finding her way through. And at the end of the day, she was crying. She was really desperate because she felt so lost, so excluded. And of course, I cannot say this is a, a really scientific gender study, but these are stories that you hear and you hear them a lot. And I've never heard any, anything similar from a man. Never. Yeah, you mentioned stories, you know, everything you say here relates quite strongly with, uh, you know, I, I've been, I've been telling it already on that microphone in previous episodes, but I am somehow a water kid, you know, my, my parents met in an, a water engineering school. So I've been in that sector for forever. And I've been hearing a lot, my, my mother tell me that um, she was the head of a department, uh, an engineering department. And usually when someone from outside would come and meet her, the first thing he would ask is, can I meet your boss? Because they couldn't believe that a woman was the boss. So you referred to, to that element of the patterns. And you know, when Amazon was trying to automate everything and to make it so easier to find out the best talents, they put in place an artificial intelligence, which was built on, on machine learning, and that was there to detect some patterns. And pretty fast, that artificial intelligence was only recruiting males in their 30s to 40s, white and coming from the same schools. And not because that artificial intelligence had a superior conscience and would be a racist or really against a woman, but just because the machine was detecting patterns and reproducing patterns. And that is to me the perfect example who shows what we have to overcome. But how can we beat a pattern? Is it with, with stories? Is it with uh, references? Is it with examples? What would be your take at, at beating that, that pattern? <laughs> it's, I think it's, it's very typical. We always stick to what we know and what we know best, although we consider it maybe not the best solution, but we stick to it. You can witness it in political elections. People tend to elect the same old um, bad experience they made before, but they do not really opt for change it's that change is very difficult because it's really shaking everything through for example um when you have a look for example at at research um right now with the covid pandemic we have the situation that there has been a lot of research done around etc and then you find out that oh there's a lot of research going on for men and then you find out that in the history of medical research it's more more concentrated on men. You find out that, for example, other things in, we deal with. I've just learned it recently that uh, even a piano is designed for men because men have bigger hands. So they reach each tone easier than a woman who ha tends to have smaller hands. So even there we find the male domination in, in our daily life. And me being a left-handed person, I know exactly what this refers to because in my daily life, every single day, I find something I have to adapt to and which is not adapted to me. I have to adapt to it because it's made for absolute different people than I am. So it's really, I have to be the uh, flexible one. And I think this is what women tend to do. They are the flexible ones. They 
adapt to situations. But when we have a look back in the development of change in, in culture, of course, I can always talk for my own culture with this northern Germany. I cannot really talk here for others. Until early 70s, the a woman, when she wanted to work outside the house, she had to ask her, her husband for permission. And the same as when doing a driving license in my country, in northern Germany. And um, I think this is a very strange thing. So I never experienced this, but my mother, that was her use. That's when she lived. And I grew up in the feeling that I could, could do anything I wanted to do and without any limitations because I had a mother who fought through this. So I had my mother like a role model, we can say. She thought that um, we had equal jobs at home, so cleaning, cooking, etc., no matter whether father, mother or children. So we all had our, our work to do at home. It wasn't just one providing for all the others. And when you have a look now at the international campaigns that are around, we have Me Too and Equal Pay. These are two big hashtags that are around the world at the moment. So we can see that this is definitely a topic that has to change, that is has to uh, raise awareness about. And we definitely need to do something similar for jobs that, to say that women can do the same jobs as men. I don't want to say that women are better in jobs. They're different. People with a different background, a different perspective and feeling for life because we are different. We are not all the same. We come from different backgrounds. We have different genders. We have different wishes. We have different cultures. So embracing all of them really helps the overall society because we are not just one male White male between 30 and 40 is as your AI uh, from Amazon wanted us to be. So um, it's very interesting to have a look at this and really make a look at your own, the own surroundings, what you see around, around yourself. If I pick into what you just said, two elements, they, I see a big element of hope, which is that it took one generation to go from something which was granted like this to your perception where a woman could do much more than what uh, your mother was allowed to do somehow. So that is the, the positive thing. Now the, the challenging thing, it's the, the role model aspect. Because to have a role model, of course, if you're at home and your role model is, is your, your father or your mother, you always have it in clear sight. And um, I guess that's the easy role model I put easy between between brackets of course but still still easy how can we ensure that within this water industry which is desperately looking for talents which is missing talents and somehow who forgets half of the talents by letting a lot of talented women aside of the road how can we ensure to create the, those role models how to create role models is by showing them it's the visibility it's so obvious just to really make them be seen to ensure that we have not just, for example, on the conferences, uh, male-only panels, because you always can find a good woman on the same job as a man. And if you really count through, then you have, say we have six panelists and we don't want all of them being white male. We want them to show what the workforce offers. And if you show more of them on stage, if you show more of them as um, capable women as they are, as professionals, then you might influence even society. Then you can really change the, the uh, aspiration of young girls in school, that they might get interested into achieving this very demanding career. Because being honest, eh, the water sector careers are very, very difficult. It's a high profession. It's really study. It's hard, hard to study. It's not an easygoing thing. So when a woman really manages to be there, she is absolutely a professional. She, she, can, she can do the same as a man and the man can do the same as the woman. So I, there shouldn't be any difference and we should make this visible. And this is actually what my network wants to push. We want to push 
women onto the forefront. We want to make them seen. We want to make them heard. We really want to advocate for women in the sector and to be seen and respected and to be seen as a very normal professional as they are. Talking of this visibility and awareness, I remember when we had our our first discussion together preparing for that call, one of the things that you mentioned, one of the first thing you mentioned is that it made a change when Diane Dara became president of the International Water Association because it was for the first time that there was a woman leading somehow the leading organization of that sector. Could you see that as a turning point or is it more of an anecdote? I hope it's not an anecdote because... I hope um, as well. <laughs> <laughs> because um, a turning point is when you start changing the inside of an organization too. And with Diane Dara, um, she made a lot of changes. She had a super pair with her executive director and the board of directors where they all supported change. So it was the moment It was a moment. She wasn't there before the moment was for her. And uh, she is actually very experienced in pushing through big goals in a very male-dominated environment. So she is very experienced in starting change, pushing change, and having a vision of change. And I hope this is long-lasting. You know, you mentioned also COVID, which was there at the beginning of our conversation. What COVID has shown somehow as well in a surprising way is that, I mean, there was the negative. I remember the, the first week of lockdown almost one year ago where all the experts which were invited on the TV were all male. And then people started to raise their hand and say, hey, come on, they are not only male experts. That, that cannot happen. And what the long run has shown, and it's a comparison, which is, I mean, comparing is, is not necessarily the best way to show things, but still that the countries that did the best within this crisis are countries like New Zealand, like Germany, and which happen to be... A... <laughs> Don't say this now. People are very unhappy in Germany with yeah. the current trends. <laughs> the, the latest month have a bit, yeah, in Germany were harder, but when you look at New Zealand, New Zealand is the parangon of the country where everything now, they, they are back to a new normal. I mean, they, they have masks drop everywhere. Everybody has the, their vaccine, everything. And it's a female-led country. That could be you know, an inspiration when, when the next election comes around in the next country to say, hey, if a woman can do it, can we just forget that there's men and women and just look at the, at the people, you know? So I don't have really a question here. It's more, you know, I'd wish for more Diandara, for, for more... Uh, brilliant role models, brilliant in the sense that they have this visibility so that everybody catches it and says, hey, yeah, by the way, gender is, is an afterthought. <laughs> yeah, well, I don't wouldn't say that women are better than men because women haven't had the chance to prove so. It's now a first time, a first generation, so it's really novel. It's a new thing that we have the, so many women leading countries. But when you have a look around, women haven't had until now really the power to show that they are better. Maybe they are the same as men at the long run, and we just see some very extraordinary examples here. But nevertheless, in society, societies, people should not be excluded. And uh, women are half of the population. So why, why should they be excluded from the jobs? Why should they be excluded from having a professional career they want to have, why should they get stuck in the middle somewhere? And um, we see with these examples that you just mentioned, these are very powerful women and they really fought hard for this. And uh, they are not, not very, it's not e no easy job that they are doing. So it's really extraordinary personalities that you just mentioned. And what I would like to say is, We are 50% of the population. Nobody should be excluded when you... We are not a minority. We are half of it. We are part of it. We are the society. Now, you know, there are two ways to take that, is to, to try to move the society and to convince everyone. And the other approach would be to say, maybe we have to force it a bit at the beginning. And once we've entrenched that in the habits, probably we can release this enforcement. And I, I remember on that microphone, I had that discussion with, uh, with Walid Khoury, 
and he was mentioning that when he was hiring, when he was a uh, in his former role at Attack, he would always take ten candidates, five guys, five women, and really taking it on gender. And once he had done that, then he would simply take the best candidate out of the ten and forgetting about a woman or or male. That is one way, I would call it an internal rule. But above that, there could be an additional step, which would be to say, why not regulate? Why not say, by law, there must be so much percent of each gender, at least in a board, at least in a company, at least in an engineering department. Do you think change can happen without that regulation? And do you think regulation could bring something, or I'm fully French with this vision of everything should be regulated? <laughs> well, um, I think when I just have a look at data, for example, from a World Bank report from 2019, it says there that in utilities, an average of 23% are female engineers and managers. The 23% of the engineers and managers are female. This is not many. Eh? And When you say an average, this means that there are utilities without any woman engineer or any woman manager. So it's it's really uh, when you have a look around it's um, and you see these low numbers, then you really think like, yeah, we have to force it. We have to push it because from itself, it doesn't work. We see it because the workforce is there. Educated people are there. Why don't they hire them? because they stick to old ideas that they cannot get rid of. And to push these ideas, you, you often need to have strong incentives to change company cultures, to change the mind of the hiring department, for example, or to change the mind of career paths. So when you think about whom to engage into this change, it is definitely national laws or constitutions or labor laws that need to be changed, and at the same time, cultures and traditions, the public awareness needs to be changed. So you have to tackle all at once, whether it is a quota for women in the board or whether it is something else. I think this should be really, really be seen by each company or each country or each culture itself what works best. I think it's very difficult to say this. From my point of view, it's very difficult to say this. The only thing that I can say is there's an awareness gap and we have to really put an advocate for a change. How this change is managed, it's up to the ones who need to manage it. We cannot make the decisions for them. But a quota is definitely an, a tool that has been used for a while in several countries And in many countries, it, it has worked. And maybe that's something. That's an idea. So we've seen the, the, the role model aspect. We've seen the potential regulation aspect. So we have here the visibility element, but we also have the potential enforcement aspect. But you are heading a network, and you, you alluded to at the, at the beginning about this networking element. I remember from my times in Suez, I remember some some female manager who were were saying they wanted to be the change that they, they would have loved to see before they stepped in in those roles. And they were actively pushing women to be working with them, to be close collaborators to them. And that encapsulates this networking element. What's the strength of, of a network? How, how can you develop a network? And uh, how can you leverage a network to achieve better gender diversity in the workplace, in the water sector? <laughs> well, that's a question. It's networking is actually what we are all made of. We are societal animals, let's say like this. We always live together in a structure. We always support each other. And if we say we are a network for a certain type of our societies, which is, in our case, the women working in the water and sanitation sector, then it helps them to exchange, to see, to share their preoccupation or their, their aspiration ideas. For example, when I was, it was many, many years ago, when I was very new, still very new in this sector, I was on a conference somewhere. I think it was in Istanbul. Yeah, it was in Istanbul. I was on a conference 
And I shared the taxi with four other women. One very senior woman who was a name in the sector in that time. And us, we were three young women. And we were sitting there in the taxi, driving through the heavy traffic of Istanbul. And then this woman, the senior woman, she was talking on the phone with her 91-year-old mother and talking to her about medicine, medical examinations, results, etc., etc. And when she stopped this call with her mother, all of us three, we were asking her how she was doing arranging family life to, uh, with her professional life because she had a very professional life. She was full-time professional, I would say a thousand percent engaged in her her job. And we asked her how she could do this. And she said, yeah, well, I have to. My husband doesn't do it. <laughs> <laughs> and um, I thought it was very, very interesting that actually after this conferences, us, these young women, we met with other young women in this conference and we started in not a pr real network. It was more like a friendship network we are from were from different countries different organization but we started to network to talk to each other to write mails to have group calls etc just to to exchange because there is this need we felt kind of lonely there was something that we were missing in our work environment with our colleagues around us with our male colleagues around us and so um Actually, we are still all friends with each other. We still support each other. But this was a small, very private network. And when you find out that you can mobilize women, when you just talk to them on international conferences where you meet them or on work meetings where you meet them, you find out you have something in common. And it's very nice to share. It's very nice to build something up. And supporting each other on the career path means also, I don't know whether this is the same for men, but for women, it also means that we support each other on, on family issues because still everywhere we are very engaged with our, all our families. So um, the balance, to find the balance between profession and passion for the job and then to have the other tasks around are still very female. And this helps a lot when you talk to like-minded women who are facing the same situations, who have gone through this situation, and you can ask them, how have you done so? Tell me, what are your, your advices to that I can overcome a difficult situation? This is very, very valuable. So in, when we have a look at our network, we find that young women, women who are still students, over to middle management professionals to seniors, we have them all there and they all get something out of being connected with each other. So the elderly ones, they get from the very young ones, the new influences, the new passion, the, the vision and the enthusiasm for everything. So you feel, yeah, that's why I wanted to join it when I, when I started. And the middle ones, they get career path advices, etc. So it's, um, it helps everyone. And when we think about advocating for uh, women in the sector, actually, I always think about a very, as I started off internationally in Latin America, I think about a very Latin American slogan, which was actually a very revolutionary slogan. And it means like, el pueblo unido jamás será vencido, which means like, together we are strong. And that's it. Together we are strong. That's why we are together. That's a good encapsulation, actually. <laughs> you <laughs> you mentioned this senior lady, which was uh, somehow a, a lighthouse when you met her in, in that taxi. Do you have other cool stories or cool uh, cool profiles that you could share us uh, right now? Oh, <laughs> cool profiles! Um, actually, there's a so story, many. <laughs> a, a path, something which uh, which can be, you know used as, as a target to, to replicate, to, uh, to get inspired? It always depends on what you're really looking for. For example, I, I get very much inspired by women who, how can I say, who are still humans, who do not get absorbed by, the, by uh, this um, follow. I, I'm sorry, I don't know how to say this. 
they are no Wonder Woman. They are they are they are real, yeah, that's, real persons. Yeah, because the the Wonder Womans they are just two or three in the world, and the others are normal people. And when you ask them, I I really think it's extremely interesting to have a, a real person behind all this. And you ask for the past. For example, we have in our network we have a mentor mentorship program where we bring exactly these together, the really big stars of the sector who have won prizes, who have discovered new things, who work on topics of high importance, who were the first women in the sector doing this. And they meet with the very young ones of our network and they just say, hey, my career path has been that. And there I remember that in Stockholm two years ago, the Stockholm Water Prize winner, she said she was a biologist and she said that, I don't know why the people didn't listen to me. Maybe it was because I was a biologist and they were all water professionals, or maybe it was because I was a woman. So, and when you hear this from a woman who just won a big prize and hearing that she was confronted with uh, such difficulties and could overcome these difficulties, then you really get inspired. So right now I really think about all these big award winners who did a lot of research, who pushed companies through. Um, you already mentioned Diane Dara, who um, led the big water company in South America and, and Argentina. There are a lot of women now doing first research work on uh, water and COVID, for example, which is now a very hot topic in these days and this year and this past 12 months. And being honest, I'm really overwhelmed by, by thinking who to recommend. It's, I couldn't stop name dropping. It's just too many. When I start with one, I, I think like, oh, there's another one. There are really good women out there. When I was in uh, engineering school, in my promotion, there was... 55% of women. So somehow it, it sounded to me like, you know, this is not a problem. And probably if you had asked to the girls in, in my promotion, they would say the same, you know, why look at men and women? It's okay, we are half-half. Apparently, <laughs> we were all wrong, unfortunately. So when would you recommend a young professional to start engaging with your network, for instance, or with uh, similar organizations, when is, is the right time? Is it from the beginning to see what's the outcome? Is it maybe even earlier to, to get inspired by, by your career within the water world? Is there absolutely no age and you should be joining at any age, which I guess is probably the best answer. But uh, what's your take there? <laughs> I, I would say it's always important to look out for inspiring people to be open and to ask. But now I feel really like an old woman giving advice to the very young. <laughs> <laughs> no, but it's, it's really true. You're not alone. That's the thing. And that's actually the slogan of my network. We are not alone. We are there together. We can support each other together. We can make us yeah, help and we can shine together. And that's not by still being individual and not being just one among many. But I think I think when you choose a career, you usually have an idea what you can do with this. And then finding out the way you wish to go and networking is definitely something very important. And I hope, I hope that in the future we do not need female-only networking. I hope in the future we can have networking for all but by given given the current situation of our cultures and of our sector thinking about this 23% female engineers and managers in utilities on average given that making this that some utilities don't even have female engineers and managers i think then the sooner the better Whenever you feel like you want to make up your mind for a certain profession, look out for other people and get seek help, seek support or seek advice. And for the woman that uh, might be listening to us right now, how can they join your network? What would be your advice? We are very accessible on social media. The 
most frequented one is our social media group on LinkedIn that you can find us with Women in Water and Sanitation Network, WWSN, or on our website, which is currently under construction. So don't be afraid. You find all data there, but soon it will be shiny and new and beautiful. Or you can find us on Twitter or Facebook also. But LinkedIn is definitely the platform where we exchange with our network, where we are most present and, yeah, looking forward to meeting new people there. So obviously, uh, if you have a look at the, the episode notes, all the links will be, will be present there. And WWSN is pretty easy to type and to find on, on LinkedIn. Ulrike, it's, uh, it's been a pleasure discussing with you in this deep dive. I have to, to be cautious of, of your time, nevertheless. So <laughs> I propose you to switch to uh, the rapid fire questions. Well, sure, sure. Great. It's time for the rapid fire questions. So here in, in that section, the idea is that uh, I try to keep the, the questions short and you can try to keep the answers short as well, but I'm never cutting the microphone. So my first question would be what is the most exciting project you've been working on and why oh actually every project i work on i think it's very exciting so right now i would say it's my latest project that is the network the wwsn network where i'm a founding member among a group of wonderful women we met Yeah, some years ago, and we decided to group us to a, form, a formal network two years ago in 2019. And now we are having over 200 members in all regions of the world, in Asia, Africa, Europe, North and South America. It's just um, amazing to see how it's work. It's working, how it functions, and that people are interested in joining and supporting the structure in using our network to propel their own ideas and careers and visions. It's, I think right now, of course, this is my super, uh, super exciting project I, I'm having at the moment. So I'm very, very happy being there and working for this. So I guess that, that would give us a, a taste about your next answer. But let me ask, nevertheless, what's your favorite part of your current job? Meeting people. <laughs> I would have bet. <laughs> <laughs> that's yeah, that's our slogan, meeting people. And it's really it's you meeting people means you learn on a daily basis about how people function, how they think, how they work, what they do. And when I have a look around, even in our founding members, which is just a handful of people, what diverse backgrounds we have and where we live and what what our people do. So we have someone who is mixed culture, lived in India, living in Germany now, doing international work in companies and um, having experience in entrepreneurship. We have an American living in Africa, working on really on the ground, influencing local authorities on, for example, building toilets in public buildings, which is something extremely revolutionary. And when you see the background of these people, they have chemical engineers, we have engineers, we have social scientists. Just talking to them is it's really an eye-opener, talking to these people. It's, I, I can't stop saying how awesome they are. I really enjoy this. And when you have a look further on in our network, Every single person has a unique story and it's fascinating to learn what, about what they do. When you just ask them, what do you do in your daily life? What is your job? You can just sit there and enjoy what you hear. It's incredible. There's, yeah, I'm amazed by them. Wonderful people. <laughs> I think we, we can feel that. <laughs> you, you transport it pretty well. So yeah, thanks a lot for that. Um, what is the the trends to watch out in the water industry? Oh, it always depends where you are, where you live. Huh? <laughs> and because it's, it's a different thing being in Northern Europe or being in Sub-Saharan Africa or sure, yeah. somewhere else. So um, what I think was is really impressive for me. And of course, it's been around for a while, but it 
became really, I would say, headlines during the past year is tracking wastewater. In wastewater, you can really find the health of the city, of the area where you live in. You can really track what is going on with the people. And they did track, they tracked um, COVID-19. They tracked the virus. They could work on virus outbreaks even before population got tested, just because they could see it in the wastewater. And there were people involved that did um, microbiology, that did wastewater engineering, that were virologists, epidemiologists. I'm I'm now worried (laughs) about my English. But it's impressive to see what work they did. And um, I think for me, this was the most trending during the past 12 months. And um, I would leave it with this because I think with new trends, latest trend in the water industry, for me, this is the most impressive, I would say. Let me take the, the opportunity to place here an anecdote. And I'm sorry, because that is now going to sound like, like you know, mansplaining. But, uh, you know, I, I recently reread Les, Les Miserables from Victor Hugo. And um, there's two full chapters around the life in the sewer. And Victor Hugo is, is really developing a full theory about the fact that the sewer is the best reflection of the society because you really see, see everything and you can track everything from the behavior of people from the sewer. And that was two centuries ago. And now it's true that with what you alluded to, this um, uh, wastewater-based epidemiology and the, and the COVID tracking and everything, maybe Victor Hugo was a, a great uh, water treatment specialist and he, he didn't know it. <laughs> so, so, yeah. Late 19th century, actually, this is where my hometown, Hamburg, became um, important for the water sector because they did track wastewater because they had a cholera outbreak in the city and didn't know what to do against this. And then they could really analyze where the wastewater came from, where did it uh, pollute uh, the freshwater wells, and they could start treating the water. So this is where it was actually born. It was the water and wastewater treatment in Hamburg was born out of a pandemic, not not a pandemic, it was an epidemic, I'm sorry, a cholera outbreak. And um, because they took care of the water, they saved lives. And they were really strict with this. They closed wells, people were not allowed to take water from wells. They had to educate the people it was a really big campaign how to do it. And so actually, it w- feels like we are back to, to, to the 19th century. <laughs> now, only with new and modern technology. For me, this is definitely one of the most fascinating things. The dirty, dirty sewer, <laughs> the wastewater <laughs> of the people. <laughs> yeah, you know, in a podcast called Don't Waste Water, I'm not going to contradict you. <laughs> okay, <laughs> So, do you have sources to recommend to keep up with the water and the wastewater market trends? Aside from, of course, and again, the link is going to be in the episode notes, but uh, the the Women in Water and Sanitation Network, but other sources? <laughs> I really can't recommend a source. I think I'm not the right person to be asked in this. I'm not, as I mentioned in the beginning, I studied something different. I studied international relations and communications management so I think really the technical, technical questions shouldn't be really my questions. <laughs> yeah, but you know, um, aside from technical topics, and uh, I'm sorry because now I'm sidetracking you, but uh, <laughs> I, I know that, um, for instance, uh, I have some, some people in mind, you know, where, where when there's a specific topic which comes in the news, I have no understanding of that topic at all. But I know that if I go to those people, they're going to be able to to break it down in something that even the stupid, so me, can understand. And I don't need to grasp the topic. I just know that those are my my go-to, those are my proxy to understand something happening out there. And within the water world, I have this kind of people where I know that when there's something popping up on a specific topic, if I try to get my head around that, I'm just going to have a a huge headache when instead of what, I can just give them a call and they're going to explain it to me. So... Yeah, that's. Uh, I mean, there's all all kind of of sources. Just to say that. 
It's um, being honest. I'm. It really would need to be the um, a really precise question because uh, very general. It's I get my my information from both from technical uh, sources like um, people or journals over to international organizations. And there's always some good lookout for data. For example, when I work on my topics, I really love to, as I cited before, the World Bank reports or United Nations as an overarching um, topic. And then I can dig deep down into the expert journals and expert publications but GI for example um, GI water is definitely something or bluefield research or um, water leaders and uh, there's so many <laughs> that's a hell of sources you see <laughs> oh it's 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 really it's it's there people as people are very academic in the sector they tend to publish a lot so we don't run out of new latest research and uh, results so people are really academic and they really appreciate good education so for example if you really want to look into sanitation my first source would always be the delft university um, because they have a sanitation school where people from all over the world come and study on the specific topic on of sanitation and then they go back into their countries and change because that is something I do some advertisement for this uh, <laughs> university now. But it's really wherever you travel, you find people from this university in key positions. And this is something extremely interesting to see, to observe. Which also gives us a hint into uh, the strength of, of networking. <laughs> just to, uh, to to put things uh, in perspective uh, as well but of course networking comes for a reason and then it's the, the chicken and the egg who was there first the, the technical knowledge or, or the network so uh, yeah <laughs> <laughs> networking it's the power it's really and because we deal with societal stuff it's not just that we deal with isolated issues water is really touching everything it's touching all our lives. It's touching the environment. It's touching the every living being on earth. It touches our societies, our cultures, our economies. And um, so we have to do it together. Well, Ulrike, I have a last question on my list. And uh, I don't want to put too much pressure on you. But uh, that's really the one where I expect a brilliant answer from you. Um, <laughs> <laughs> Oh my God. <laughs> Would you have someone to recommend me that I should definitely invite on that same microphone? And to give you a bit of time to think, because you don't have to be limited to one. And uh, please, for the one listening to that, it's not because your name is not going to be cited here that Ulrike doesn't <laughs> think of you and does, doesn't want to recommend you. But you know, when I was publishing for, it was this um, this Word Woman Day, somehow I have a problem with the word day of, of something because Word Woman Day somehow means to me that the other day of the year are not Woman Day. But okay, that's I'm, I'm not sidetracking you here again to, to that topic. But I realized that on my podcast, where I try to bring these gender diversity topics, I try to bring them forward because I'm the son of a feminist. And if I wouldn't do that, my mother would simply kill me. <laughs> <laughs> but I had only 14% of female guests, which means I'm in a terrible industry and I do worse than that terrible industry. So to me, it was really painful to, to see that. So with this long introduction, that's why I expect you... should you... have asked me. She should have asked me. I could have recommended you thousands. <laughs> so let's go for the thousands. <laughs> uh, where to start? I think I, I... Being honest at this moment, I really would like to not look too far. I would definitely recommend my co-chair at um, the Women in Water and Sanitation Network, Emily Woods, because she is a very young entrepreneur in the sanitation sector in Kenya. And um, she's an American living in Africa, and she's influencing with her work the community she lives in. And I think being an entrepreneur abroad in Africa, is, which is not your country, where you look different and you do such a fantastic work, I think it's definitely more than one story 
you get out of her. You can learn a lot about how the work for a company is in, in the sector, in the sanitation sector. I would definitely go for her. Awesome. <laughs> I can just to name one. <laughs> well, thanks a lot for, for this effort to limit it to one because uh, I do get from yeah. the feeling from what you were explaining that uh, there would be thousands. So I'd start with her and then, of course, I might come back to you for further suggestions. Ulrike, it's been a pleasure discussing this uh, very important matter with you. I'm really glad you took some time to enlighten us and to, to show a bit why that matters. So thanks a lot. And um, I've touched you uh, where people can, can reach your outline. Again, it's going to be in the episode notes, but there's your, your website under progress, uh, WWSN, and there's your, your LinkedIn group. And I got that you, you, you're also on, on Twitter, probably uh, soon on, on TikTok. Uh. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, that's, that's another challenge. We, we don't have staff, so we all do this on a voluntary basis. And we need to fill in the continuous communication. But TikTok is definitely on our list too, yeah. And other channels, so huh? there's more. But yeah, thanks a lot. It's been really fun talking to you and with you and answering all your questions. And may I suggest um, one follow-up, which I wish to be as soon as possible in the future, but don't get me wrong, a follow-up the day that you dismantle your network. The day that you say, okay, we've achieved it. So we don't need to have a, a specific woman in water and sanitation network. And um, because we are there, we are at 50-50 and people don't look at gender anymore. I wish that day comes, really. Yeah, <laughs> uh, me too. Me too, definitely. I wish this network wouldn't be necessary. So let's take our, our agenda. What, what do you do next year? <laughs> Come on. <laughs> <laughs> Being honest, I think we need some several generations. It's um, not so easy. We've been stuck in situations and the world is facing so many different crises and global changes. But it's a long I game. So. Don't, yeah, that I don't think cultural changes can be really achieved within a short period of time. But we are we are on a good track, having a look around what women do, what they can do, how confident they are. I think that's the most important thing, confidence. We can get there. That makes for Soon. a perfect conclusion. Soon. Within this <laughs> lifetime, hopefully. <laughs> yeah. So thanks a lot, Ulrike. And uh, thank you. see you thank as you. soon as possible. <laughs> yeah, thank you very much. Thanks for listening to Don't Waste Water. This podcast was brought to you by GF Piping Systems. Loved this episode? Head over to Apple Podcasts to subscribe, rate, and leave a review. See you next time.